0: Welcome to Two Psychologists for Beers. I'm Ewell Inbar. With me here, as always, is my co-host, Mick Inslicht. How are you doing, man? I'm doing, uh, doing pretty well. Uh, I'm,
1: uh, I'm wearing a, uh, a shirt with a dude on it, um, just to remind me, uh, to say something nice about our rival podcast, uh, The Very Bad Wizards. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they had I uh, guess a, a two-part series where they were comparing and discussing Pulp Fiction and The Big Lebowski. And I listened to both of them and oh my God, I just loved it. I mean, I, I might even become a patron.
0: I, um, uh, <laughs> you just <laughs> give me money. <laughs> they don't, they don't need it, man. They don't, they, they don't need your promotion either. Come to think of it. No, I know. But I, I just
1: want to give them props, uh, especially Tamler, uh, cause he is Lebowski man. And I felt I learned something new. I felt I connected with the dude in a, in a way I had not before. Um, and I need to thank him from the bottom of my heart.
0: Well, that's that's beautiful. Um, you should send him a nice note.
1: I tweeted. Hey. <laughs> good Twitter. enough.
0: <laughs> good enough. That's good. I don't like him that much. That's right. Uh, but he did a good job. <laughs> Thanks, Tamler. So uh, we have a special guest joining us today, uh, live and in person. We have Dr. Alexa Tullett, and it is my privilege and honor to introduce her. So she's here uh, from the University of Alabama, where she is an associate professor of psychology. She is on numerous uh, editorial and other boards, including uh, the journals SPPS and AMPS, uh, Collaborative Psychology, where I'm also actually an associate editor. Me and like hundreds of other people, I think, but it's a it's a select group. Um, and uh, finally, she's on the executive committee at SIPS, the Society for the Improvement of Psychological Science. So, Alexa, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, all and Mikey. Uh Wait, ho- hold on, Yuval, you forgot you forgot one thing. I- Alexa is also
0: a host on the Black Goat podcast. Oh, shit. Yeah. I, well, I, I just got so mad about you promoting our rivals that uh, <laughs> I, I thought maybe we could just like gloss over that.
2: I was a little insulted that we weren't your number one rivals, but I feel like you guys pretend that we're like, we're like friend podcasts and then look Very Bad Wizards as the rival.
0: We're like frenemies more. <laughs>
1: Where are we, we pretend to be friends, you know, us and the Black Goat, and we pretend to be enemies with the Very Bad Wizards. But we're not, we're not friends or enemies with anyone. Uh, (laughs) Well,
0: you know, we'll leave that up in the air. I think uh, protect the mystery. Yes. Yes. As they say. So, yes, uh, Alexa is also um, easily the most socially skilled (laughs) 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 co-host, which was, I think, if we're being an honest and inspiration to us, wasn't it? Absolutely, uh, I
1: think it's a direct connection. Uh, you guys started, uh, I think, a year and a half before us, well before us, um, and I think it was, I, you know, for me personally, listening to you guys having so much fun, um, you know, talking about whatever and uh, just friends together talking about uh, various topics. I just I was jealous, um, and I thought it would be awesome to to do something similar. So absolutely, you guys were totally an inspiration.
2: Oh, I thought that you know, I was saying that my social skills inspired you guys. So. That too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: Well, so I know in The Black Goat, you are, and I don't want want to insult your co-host, but you've admitted it, all three of you, that you are the the extrovert of the three.
2: Although, like, I think I am in real life, but I think that I talk perhaps the least of the three of us on the podcast. So I don't know. I don't know what that means.
1: I see. Now, uh, but nonetheless, in real life, you are the extrovert. And I think it does come out um, uh, in certain times. Uh, Do you think in, in this scenario here, this threesome here, are you the extrovert?
2: No, Mickey.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Mickey's stuff Mickey to compare. Mickey's like one hundred and twenty percent the biggest extrovert.
1: Uh, I'll have you know that I am the introvert in my family. No. That that is absolutely true. I want to go to one of i think I met your these. brother
2: once, and your brother was extremely extroverted. Yeah,
1: he he is just a lovable. I I love my brother deep, deeply,
0: and uh, but he is off the charts, like double me. Easily, yeah. You know, Mickey, you've never invited me to like a family dinner or anything like that. Why is that?
1: Uh, well, my family lives that's in Montreal. That's
0: weird. I come. Well, i come. I like
1: Montreal. It's <laughs> <laughs> just kind of funny because I, I was just there, and uh, just being there. Of course, you remember all these things from from, from childhood and, and and being an adolescent. I did this regular thing where I would invite friends over so my mom could make falafel for uh, for my friends and I. And uh, I, I just that's a vivid memory of it. I just asked my mom to make falafel this past time, and she did. She abided and. Uh, uh, my kids enjoyed it, but, uh, you know, you were missing
0: for sure. So what, what does she do? Does she like have a big pan that she fills with oil or does she have like a deep fryer or how does this actually, work? Oh man, this is like a multi-day process. She like, uh, gets the,
1: the, the, the dried chickpeas that she soaks and then for a day and then grinds them and puts them in, makes them balls, And she's got a, yeah, a deep, a deep fryer to do it. Um, and then of course, you know, fresh and uh, homemade, uh, trina uh, and hummus as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's it's required. It's very, very good. Yeah, no falafel is one of those things where it's like unless you know what you're doing, you just go out and you buy that shit because they are gonna make it much better. Than you.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. So, when I, falafel in my family is me buying frozen falafel and making a salad.
0: Right. Uh, and then buying the PS and the hummus. And, right. Uh, yeah. Right. That's, I feel like there's some things that are just like amazing value for dollar. Like it's right. cheap and it's so much better than you could ever do it yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Falafel has to be like near the top of that list. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I,
1: it didn't stop me from asking my mom, who is 75. She turned 75 uh, yesterday.
0: Um, and... uh it's, it's shameless that I asked you to do that, right? You know, Mickey, I feel like your philosophy is just ask. If they don't want to, they'll <laughs> say no. <laughs> that as, is true. As
2: Mickey's former grad student, I would say that that's very accurate. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Yeah, that's right. So um, our listeners might not know that there's a, a history between the two of you, eh? Yeah, right. Yeah, there's a family connection, an academic family you know, connection.
2: Oddly, so I'm in Toronto visiting my family, um, and today I, it came up that I was coming here to do the podcast, and my parents were like, Mickey was such a good advisor to you. And I was like, oh, that's nice that you remember. I mean, I remember it that way, too. And I guess that that's why they think that. But
1: that's, oh, that's cool. I remember your parents at your dissertation party and your oh brother as well. Um, there were a lot of tears shed at that uh, that party. That was a really nice party. Yeah, it, it was fun. Um, so I feel uh, I've already been drinking. I think we've all been drinking. Oh yeah, we've got to do beer chat. Yeah, let's just uh, you know uh, briefly or quickly mention our beer. So uh, we are drinking, uh, you know, very well-known, famous beer, Ho Garden. Uh, I'm not sure this is a new thing they put on their labels, but uh, such a wheat beer, of course. But now it says brewed with coriander and orange peel. Um, I believe they just kind of keep up with the like the craft brewing scene where they kind of mention all the the special ingredients. I don't remember that ever being on a on a bottle of Ho Garden before.
0: Um, Me neither. Me neither.
1: Yeah. Um. But I want to uh, take a, a couple of seconds to thank um, Peter Martin, who is an undergrad uh, at the University of Toronto at the St. George campus, who came to my office to well to chat about ideas, uh, but also to donate this beer. So this is a, a donation. We haven't received a donation in a while, and I feel uh, our, our listeners are letting us down. So uh, please
0: give us more beer. We demand it. Jesus Christ. Well, thank you, first of all, to Peter Martin, and it's very sweet of you. I was about to say, I feel a little guilty taking beer from an undergrad, and I like that you're the exact <laughs> We've got a few bottles from undergrad. Occasionally, I get,
1: like, as gifts. Uh, I've received Jack Daniels from undergrad, uh, tequila. Uh,
0: these are the undergrads you know me well. That's right. Yeah, well, you don't really make a secret of your functional alcoholism, though.
2: <laughs> if you post... On your website, the things that you can be bribed with, it works surprisingly well. Is that uh, right?
0: That's a great idea. So what do you put up there?
2: Uh, so when I first started at the University of Alabama, I just like had on my website because I thought, I don't know, I thought it would be a funny thing to put on my website that I could be bribed with French fries and Parmesan cheese or something like that.
0: Like in combination or separately? No, separately. Okay. Or at least I meant that. It's it good on the French fries though.
2: I agree. In combination would also be good. Okay. Um, and so then... That's the time, you know, when you're like ordering equipment for your lab and stuff like that. Um, and so, places that I ordered equipment from because they're trying to, or that I was tr- thinking of ordering equipment from because they're trying to get your business, would like, they sent me cheese in the mail. <laughs> That's amazing. It was <laughs> amazing. <took> it <laughs> yeah. And then I've had other people like offer to buy me french fries and stuff. So, yeah, just I like I've learned from Mickey, you know, just like ask, and sometimes
0: people will give you things that right. you ask for. Does that violate some sort of Alabama <laughs> law? Is that like a kickback or something? I Maybe. mean, we'll find out. Yeah, now, I, guess. <laughs> I guess so. That is hilarious, uh,
1: and also I, I don't think I knew you had this deep love of French fries. Oh wow! I knew you. I knew like uh, at pub you would often order poutine. I think that back? sounds that checks out. Yeah, for sure. But I yes, I too. Poutine and french fries, major weakness of mine.
2: Poutine is my, um, a poutine truck is my backup career option. I think it would go over really well in the South.
0: Oh, that would kill.
2: I know. Yeah.
0: I... Because they don't know what it is, but it's exactly what they like. Exactly. Yeah. I had poutine in Kentucky uh,
1: in a barbecue place that Will Gervais took me to. Um, I guess that's not technically the South. It's... Oh, Kentucky's the South. Oh, Kentucky's the South. Okay. All right.
0: Yeah. Um, How was it?
1: It was actually really good. Uh, they did like a, a newfangled version. They had, you know, it's a proper poutine, so they had the fries
0: and the cheese curds. They also had barbecue pulled pork in there, so it was delicious. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So um, we could make this a food podcast, or <laughs> <laughs> we could. What else do you like to eat? Uh, <laughs> so many things. We could ask Alexa her favorite question, uh, which is. What are you excited about research-wise these days? And let me give a little context for this. For those of our listeners who might not be familiar with what you work on, which interestingly, like on the podcast, you guys, I guess, Samin and Sanjay kind of talk about personality psych broadly. Um, and I know Samin talks about her research interests specifically. But I don't know that you've talked a lot about what you're interested in research-wise. And I think that's something a lot of people would like to know.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I should have a good answer to this because I considered it when we were talking about it on the podcast and you told me specifically that you were going to ask me this question. I'm still not sure that I have a great answer. I mean, these days I'm, so sometimes I think people who are like more removed from the field are better at describing what people do research on than we are because we're still like in the weeds. And so my, f- my friend, um, who owns the the gym that I go to in Tuscaloosa describes my research as like doing research on researchers. So I think like these days I'm kind of interested in meta science, and I also like, I'm interested in like the classic social psych stuff when it comes to, you know, biases and motivated reasoning and confirmation bias and stuff like that. Um, The thing I'm most excited about right now, and I probably shouldn't mention this project because it's at such early stages that it's like probably too early to bring it up. Um, but I really want to run a study that is selected by the public. And so I've started thinking about maybe ways to solicit suggestions from the public and ways to run that study um, in a way that's maybe like more robust than a typical like, study that's one, run in one specific lab. Um, so I'm trying to get the psychological science accelerator to um, get on board with that idea.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, how are you thinking about describing this to people, like to lay people in a way that they're able to like make an intelligent decision about like what's interesting, what's not?
2: That's a good question. I mean, I think the the initial phase would have to be something like giving people examples and then asking people about the questions that they might be interested in. But yeah, there has to be some way of sort of like putting boundaries around the research question space in a way that will make sense to people. And um I'm sure this is a case where talking to non-psychologists will be a key part of the process because I don't even, I think that I'm so familiar with the idea of like being able to answer the question, like what's a, what research question are you interested in that I don't, I don't think that I know what that sounds like to a
1: non-psychologist. Can I ask about the, I mean, I I find it interesting as well. That's just really cool and novel. Um, What was the, what's the motivation behind it? Why, why do you think, um, getting the public to nominate studies that you would then actually test why is that why is that important to you i mean i I think it is but yeah where'd you get that idea from to me
2: it's important because i think that ostensibly psychologists especially social psychologists are um we often say that we're doing our research for the public good so we have some kind of like goal to serve the public in our research i think um and So it seems appropriate to ask the public what they would like to know, I guess. Um, And I'm not saying that the public is always the best judge of what the best research question will be. Certainly, they probably don't know the literature well. So I'm sure people will suggest things that have been well-researched and all of that kind of thing. But, um, But yeah, I think that's very possible that the public is interested in things that we often don't consider. I mean, the kinds of topics that we talk about in... And do research on in social psychology are like not in any way like comprehensive or I mean, we've had this discussion before. Mickey, I remember talking about like, you know, the idea of ego depletion being or yeah, ego depletion being like a social psychological construct. Um, and you were sort of like, yeah, I'm not really sure why social psychologists study this because it definitely seems very cognitive. Um, but some of these things are just sort of like a legacy of the people who researched them and and what they call themselves. Um, so I think there could be like huge gaps in the kinds of things that we do research on that the public might be really interested to know about. Yeah, I think Paul
1: Rosen makes, uh, makes this point in at least one of his papers um, where he talks about, you know, all the things we could be studying or, you know, th- that should be of interest to psychologists uh, broadly or social psychologists more specifically. And really, we, we just touch a narrow set of these. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes, like the questions we ask are constrained by the past, constrained by what, you know, kind of the way the question has been framed in the past. And it's very limiting. Um, and I think, um, you know, sometimes the best questions come from actually from, from undergrads, um, from like green graduate students who have been, who are actually not exposed to the literature. Um, and I think I think this idea is great because you can get people who are like, well, this seems like a social question. Like, well,
0: what do we know about X or Y? Mm. Um, so I love that idea. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder whether you're worried about the like Bodie McBoat face kind of demographic. It's really funny that
2: you mentioned that specifically because you know, in writing proposals for this idea, I now specifically mention like, here's how we're going to avoid Bodie McBoat face specifically, because I so often get this like question from people like, how are you going to avoid Bodie McBoat face? Um, so, yeah, I guess. The-
0: <laughs> should, we, should we give some context for our <laughs> listeners about what Bodhi McBoatface is? I
1: think we mentioned this last time. In the Paul uh, Bloom
0: podcast. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, I was at the, the, the British Navy wanted to name one of their ships, one of the warships. And they gave the public uh, an opportunity to, to, to nominate and vote on names.
0: And uh, the name Bodie McBoatface won. Um, yeah. I, I think it was actually some sort of like science ship because they ended up naming it the Sir David Attenborough. Okay. Right? All right. Yeah. So, but but anyway, like yeah. Sorry, that was a pedantic and dumb correction. They named a they had a contest to name a boat, and the most ridiculous name <laughs> one. Yes. And right. this has
2: happened in other contexts too. So there's a there's a baseball team, I believe, in Northern Alabama, um, Rocket City. So that must be Huntsville. Uh, that is the Rocket City Trash Pandas. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so they went
1: with. It. Yeah, I think so. I think there's like a trash panda mascot and everything. Well, actually, uh, the the Toronto Raptors they were named also by a vote. It was you know nominated. I think there were uh, uh, they received nominations. There were votes on on the names are nominated. I don't think they necessarily went with the number one vote, but they they were, they. Were- certainly influenced by them. And of course that name was named right around the time of Jurassic Park. So it kind of fit then, but now it's like Toronto. It's a little
0: dated. Yeah. yeah. And
1: like what's the connection with Toronto There's and right. Raptors? It should the
0: Toronto trash pandas, really. <laughs> that's right. It that's, really should. <laughs> <laughs> it is sort of the city's unofficial mascot, right? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh so yeah, what uh if you can share like how will you deal with the Bodie McBoat yeah, problem? Yeah, I,
2: I think I can share. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I couldn't. Um, my my idea for how to deal with that is to solicit research ideas or questions or like er- like topics of interest from the public. Um, from that, narrow it down to like a set of, uh, maybe like five or six specific designs so maybe a couple of different research questions and a couple of different designs that go with each Um, so the public would have sway there in terms of like the most The most nominated or most popular ideas or topics would be more likely to be represented in the subset. But also that allows us to weed out really ridiculous ideas or ideas. I mean, some of this, it doesn't have to be just avoiding dumb ideas. It can also be like avoiding ideas that have been heavily studied or ideas that are totally unfeasible um, in this kind of like context. Um, And then the public would vote on these specific study designs so they get some they get to choose the final product basically.
0: Right. So there's a curation aspect there where you don't just let right. any crazy thing through. I'm curious and this is actually something that our listeners um seem to ask a lot as well is like how people got to where they are. Um like how you ended up I guess Deciding to do this kind of research and how that relates to what you started out studying in grad school—like, is there like a trajectory there where you sort of gradually became interested in this topic? Is it that you were always kind of into this? Like, how did that work? That's a great question.
2: I mean, I think that like Thank as you. research, <laughs> I think that as researchers are like often trying to come up with like common threads in our own research, and I feel like this is sort of like a part of how we sort of market ourselves. Um, I. I think that I could come up with some kind of thread or trajectory, but honestly, I don't think that there really is in terms of like the common theme and the things that I'm interested in. I think I'm interested in a lot of stuff. I mean, being in Mickey's um, lab in grad school, I don't think I had a really clear focus. And I think like Mickey sort of fostered that kind of like, you know, broad interest and in pulling ideas from your daily life and stuff like that. And so um I think that, for a while now, I've been interested in things like open-mindedness versus closed-mindedness and, like, people's um beliefs and how they sort of, like, maintain them and protect them and, you know, whether they change them and stuff like that. Um So I think that can sort of encompass the research that I've been doing over the last few years. Um But really, like, my trajectory – I mean, when I started grad school, I was really interested in the idea of doing social psychology that had some kind of neuroscience aspect – um, and that was like what drew me to Mickey's lab. And then when I left grad school and got my job, I got my job as a social neuroscientist essentially or psychophysiologist. Um, but at that point, I was starting to realize, um, that probably the questions that I was most interested in weren't best addressed with neuroscientific or psychophysiological methods. Um, and at the same time, this was, like, exactly when the replicability crisis was sort of starting. Um, and so it was becoming sort of, like, increasingly um, – I was becoming increasingly aware that, you know, in order to do good psychophysiological research, you need to be doing, like, studies that are much well, much better powered than the ones that we had been doing. And, and you also need to be, like, really, really an expert in this area and stuff. And so I think I started to drift away from – psychophysiology and also just started to um become interested in the replicability crisis and also make friends who were really interested in that and then you sort of like develop this community of people who you know become the people who influence your your research and your ideas
0: yeah it's interesting how much of everything in life is social
1: totally a hundred percent yeah um and and also, I mean so as uh, hearing your your answer, which I found really interesting um because I've known you for so many years right um you know it's it's hard you know to answer that question like the the big all in the room is of course like this this trauma has happened to our field, right, and um I think it's it's only you know the only responsible thing to do is to respond to that, and you respond to that by studying you know um different things you could be studying like how scientists you know study things um but you could also just you know become a better scholar and researcher yourself but um it's uh i think it's fully you know completely appropriate that you'd be you know re- you know respond to react to this like yeah like, I-, I feel it's like a trauma
2: yeah i mean i don't know what you're if you guys remember the feeling that you had when the replicability crisis started being a big thing and you know the first paper started coming out um but the feeling that i had was like oh, yeah, this was the stuff that was, like, in the back of my mind that I was worried about that made me, like, question the meaningfulness of what I was doing. And now people are, like, clearly articulating why this is a huge problem. Um And so it's hard to ignore that kind of yeah, thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. So I it's, what I find incredibly frustrating is I've got some friends, your friends too, uh, we'll go unnamed, um, who uh pre-replication crisis would, like, would hear about a study and would be like, God, ah, that's fucking bullshit. Or, oh, look, we all know that's, that's not real. Um, and so we, we all kind of have these suspicions, like these kind of like spidey sense. like, that something's not right here. I, I don't, I can't put my finger on what it is, but like, I don't trust it. But now we know why we shouldn't trust certain things. Um, and again, what I find frustrating is that some of these same people are, are, are like denying the problems that we have, even though they were skeptical, they had this kind of uh, unspoken, spoken skepticism, but like didn't understand why they were skeptical. Um, so uh, a question I want to ask, and I, I think I, I probably asked you this like in the, uh, the first time we ever spoke on, I guess, on Skype or on a telephone call when I was interviewing you as a graduate student. Um, but uh, it'd be interesting to hear uh, your answer now. Uh, which is the question is, you know, how did you end up a researcher? So, you know, how, you know, was this something you always wanted to do as an undergrad? Um, did you kind of envision yourself as a scientist when you're younger? I don't know if I answered this honestly when, <laughs> when I applied to work in your lab.
2: Hopefully not, because, but I, I think the, the honest answer is like mostly by coincidence. So I remember this is interesting. So the first time I ever met Samin actually was at. S- CISP, the Summer Institute for Social and Personality Psychology. Um, and I took a class with her and David Dunning and they had us do this exercise where we were randomly assigned a profession and then we were asked to like, provide an account for how we became that profession Using only factual information except for the outcome, which I mean is obviously randomly assigned, right? So I got like video game developer. And then I can like look back into my past and think, well, you know, when I was a kid, I had I had a subscription to Nintendo Power magazine and like I had a safe where the code was on 115 because I was trying to save up $115 to buy a Super Nintendo and so like you know. <laughs> so yeah, these are true things that then like feed into my story for how I became uh a video game designer, which obviously did not happen. Um, so like with, with psychology and with research, I mean, I could answer sort of like how I ended up in a social neuroscience lab, which was that, you know, when I was in my last year of college, I took, um, a social psychology of genocide class and it was like all I wanted to talk about. And before that I had thought I wanted to go into a neuroscience program, um, because I was really interested in those classes as well. So that was like, how I combined, you know, the idea of social psychology and and biology. Um, But when I was in university, there was a social psychology class and I didn't take it because it involved a lab. And I was like, that sounds like more work than I want to do for this class. So, like, I I deliberately avoided doing social psychology research in my undergrad. Um, So, I don't know. It's like, you know, probably probably sort of a coincidence. But then I think, you know, um, the fact that I love doing it a lot suggests that, you know, maybe I lucked out or something.
0: I guess I we have a whole section here where we're going to ask you to give our listeners advice. And in part, this is based on the fact that you guys in your podcast, like I feel like so successfully give advice. And it's actually one of my favorite parts of the show. Uh, you don't
2: think it's like a bit presumptuous that that's part of our show that we are like, we're no, just we going to, you guys should ask us questions and then we'll tell you what you should do. But, but I mean, it's really
0: fun. It's not unsolicited. <laughs> it's not like you're picking up like a person per episode. You're like, here's what you should be doing. It's like they write in and they ask you for advice. So I think in that case, it's not. But,
2: yeah, we should change the letter segment to just like pick a person and right, tell them how to change their life.
1: <laughs> I mean, I feel to some extent you guys have, have captured, um, you've kind of recreated this is old book uh that's been around for ages many many editions called the handbook of academia which is like i think many of us had uh of a certain age let's say uh just all about how to be an academic like the 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 basic kind of like job market stuff like tenure stuff any kind of questions you might have and i feel you guys cover that in a modern form um i think it's it's awesome
0: um it's a great service yeah so uh we 're both big fans, um and so I have a list of questions that I think that some of our listeners might be interested in hearing your take on. Our first question for you is um so you you were tenured about a year ago
2: right that's right yeah yeah,
0: so looking back at your first year as an assistant professor. Is there anything that you would want to go back and tell yourself to do differently? So if you could like had a time machine, you could go back in time, you could be like first year assistant professor Alexa, do this or don't do this. Is there anything that you would want to tell yourself?
2: Um, so what I uh, what I would like the answer to be is like not worry so much about what... um what is traditionally thought of as like the important kinds of scholarship. But I think that's a lie. So um, actually I would say like work harder to get grants. (laughs) Um, And I think also that I did sort of try to at least like prioritize things that I thought were important. And I don't think that I experienced the the thing that people describe when they're pre-tenure of like being – unable to voice their own opinions within their department and feeling like they have to walk on eggshells. Like I didn't, I didn't feel like I ever had to do that. So I didn't do that. And I don't think that I was like penalized for it. I think I did the things that I thought were important, but I mean, there was a point during my like pre-tenure time when the college's um, expectations regarding grants shifted quite a bit. So when I started, it seemed like it was sort of a you can try you have to try to get grants you have to show that you're making a good faith effort but you don't need to get one Um, and then you know sort of like four and a half years in they were like actually you really do need to get one Um, and so like at that point I sort of like really reckoned with this possibility that I would not get a grant by the time that I got tenure and that this would be like a big problem for me getting tenure and I seriously considered what it would be like to not be in academia anymore and I was really sad about that. Like, I was also like, okay, well, maybe that would present certain other opportunities and maybe there are things that I could get excited about and stuff like that. But I was also like, damn, like, I really like my job and I really want to keep it. So, I mean, I think, you know, uh, doing, yeah, doing the things that will give you job security, there's, there's a good reason to do them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's tough, though, when the expectations change halfway through, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess, like, you know, you're never going to be evaluated less favorably because you've gotten a grant, right? And I get the impression, particularly at U.S. state schools where they've just had funding cut after funding cut, that it's become more and more a priority. Like, I've heard of people being told, you're going to bring in X dollars in grant funding, or you don't get tenure. Mm-hmm. It's like very. Uh, they they don't try and hide it or anything. It's like no, mm-hmm. you're here to make us this amount of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you mentioned one thing how how you'd be sad if you didn't
1: get uh, did get tenure and didn't have the job. Uh, so t- what do you like about academia? What is what is uh, yeah? What are the things that you love about it? Why would you be so sad if you um
0: in it?
2: I mean, I think the number one thing that I love about it is that you spend so much time interacting with people who are very intellectually curious in a context that totally fosters that so like you know i spend my time um teaching undergrad classes where i think you know at least the at least some of the students seem genuinely curious and it's fun to have conversations with them and like expose them to new ideas and i spend some of my time um like reading articles with people who are really interested in them and talking about them with them. I spend a lot of time with my grad students who, um, you know, like have a lot of their own really cool ideas. And we sort of like work on those together and going to conferences and, you know, things like this, like you just spend so much of your time talking to people who are really curious about the world and really smart. And um, yeah, and I don't, I don't know what other jobs are like, so I've only ever
1: been in academia, um, but I imagine that it's not the same. Yeah. I, we've never left school. Um, um, and it's, yeah, the, the thought of not being at school would be kind of frightening. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me too, this, this you know, this job was so privileged we're so lucky, right? I mean, to be able to just talk about ideas, like all the time, argue about ideas, Um and to have so many smart people around you, uh, yeah, it's it's a thrill.
2: And I, at this point, I mean, I have some a lot of control over how I spend my time, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, it is like, yeah, it's a huge privilege. You get to choose what you do research on and you get to... I mean, you might not be able to choose the specific class that you teach always, but you often have a huge say on what the content of the class is. Like, I, yeah, I'm not sure what would happen if I just like talked about like beer all day in my psych class someone would eventually learn about that I guess but not right away <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it, well, speaking about like a hole in like the you know the, the canon is like the psychology of beer I mean really uh or are, you, are maybe
2: that's what the <laughs> the public will suggest we do research on <laughs> that's right
1: that's right that's <laughs> hilarious um you know, so we well, think about it. So alcohol, of course, we study its problems. We study we study alcoholism and, you know, the addiction to alcohol. But like we drink it for a good reason. Like it, it's not all bad uh, yet. I don't know of any research that examines the positive side of alcohol. <laughs> Do you? People become more likable after two drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um All right. So I want to ask the next next question. Um. So I, you know, I imagine our, our listeners already know you're Canadian because you did grad school here. Um, although are you American now as well? Do you have dual citizenship? I don't. You don't know. Okay. Um, so, uh, but nonetheless, you, you, so you're Canadian, moved, moved move to the U.S. Um, and, uh, I think for a lot of, uh, Canadians and Europeans, uh, at one point, they start contemplating the notion of, of uh, moving to the U.S. because the job market is so much larger there than anywhere else. Um, so it's always a good, good idea to keep uh, one's options open. So um, what advice would you give to non-Americans who are contemplating uh, making the move?
2: Um, so maybe in more general terms, I would say that I I am a big fan of like moving away from where you grew up. And that's not to say that I don't miss toronto because i mean i unfortunately i grew up in like an amazing place and i wish that i could have like ended up in toronto having moved from somewhere else um but yeah i mean i think there's like a huge amount of personal growth that comes from moving to a new place maybe there's something about a new country although i you know i think that canada and the u.s in the scheme of things are very very similar countries um but for me it was like a big deal to uh feel like I was building my own life in this new place sort of from scratch. Like I didn't know anybody when I moved to Alabama and, um, and yeah, I was starting this new job and I feel like that was really good for me. So, um, so I'm, I'm in favor of going to a new place. Um, a piece of practical advice, make sure that you have your visa shit sorted out before you move because I, yeah, I, did that through the department and the department didn't really know how things worked. And I didn't really know how things worked. And it ended up being sort of like a close call where I had to like be a visiting professor for the first four months because I didn't have the right kind of visa or something like that. Anyways, it was um, unnecessarily stressful.
0: So So you almost made a run for the border. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we have, I I think one more question here and then maybe we take a quick break and refresh our beers. Um, So this is a question about social media. You know, Mickey and I like to talk a lot of shit about um, Twitter particularly. Uh, We're still both on it. Although, Mickey, you've really been cutting back, haven't you? Uh, Tremendously, although I still (laughs) am on it every single day.
1: But I I think every time I post, it's now like not science. It's like, you know, photographs
0: of art and... uh... Something else. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, we're both still sort of on Twitter and, you know, I mean, my feeling about Twitter is sometimes I find it very valuable. Like I learn about things like that I wouldn't have learned about any other way. Um, And sometimes it can be maddening. Like just recently there's, you know, some, a lot of like kind of blow ups and fighting and things that don't seem that productive Mm -hmm. And so I wonder as somebody who's like a really you do have a Twitter account, but you're very good at <laughs> avoiding ever using it. Um, like how you feel about it. Like do you do you feel like you're missing out? Are you just perfectly happy where you are? If you had a student, would you advise them to be on Twitter or, or other social media?
2: Yeah. Add? Uh so I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily advise a student to not be on Twitter. I think if I were to give advice one way or the other, I would say it would be good to follow Twitter. Uh, I admire a lot of people who are on Twitter and post useful, helpful things for other people um, and who participate in these, like, conversations. I think that I miss things that are important, um, and I still think that it's worth it to me because... Uh, I don't know. I've never really been super interested in that form of communication, and I think that the kinds of like fights that you are describing that that just seem completely unproductive and devolve into, um, yeah, something that does not resemble like a a productive debate debate in any way. I. I have no interest in participating in that and no patience for that. Um, And some, in some ways I admire the people who do have patience for that. So like maybe an analogy is, um, you know, like arguing with your like conservative parent about some political issue or whatever. There's something that I admire about the like patience of being willing to sort of like try to engage, even though the process may be frustrating. Um, And I'm actually much more likely to engage in that, but I don't, Yeah, that to me, the there's not a lot of appeal and the 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 fights make
0: it unappealing. Right. So I I feel like this is such an asset for you. Like, I feel like both for me and for Mickey, we realize we get sucked into these things and we have to really exert self-control. So, like, you know, for like a dieting analogy where the people who like have to avoid walking by the cake aisle, you're like, cakes not my thing <laughs>
1: little sweet that's exactly right yeah i'm it's not it's not an exercise in self-control <laughs> oh my god i'm totally jealous because despite me hating it so i think every third tweet I, I tweet now is something about i hate social media but i'm saying it on social media so i'm on it i'm watching i'm paying attention um but it, it's so mad do you know what you like about it um well i mean it's not all bad, so of course, yeah. Uh, no. So there is good stuff. I, I I don't I can't say I've learned that much in the past year or so in about science. But when I first got on it, I, I thought I was learning an immense amount, um, being exposed to papers like preprints as they were coming, yeah, uh, yeah, and just being in touch with things. And I'm a disagreeable person, so I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in the past year or so, I, I just feel it's 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 even too toxic for me now.
2: Yeah, th- I. I felt similarly, too. So there would be many times when, you know, uh, Samin and Sanjay and I would be ready to record a podcast and they'd be like, oh, should we talk about, like, this and this? And it would be some kind of Twitter, like, thing that had happened on Twitter. And I would not know what they were talking about and they would have to inform me, which is another reason why maybe I can get away with it not having Twitter a little bit is because I have people who tell me what happened. Um, But uh, I don't know. Increasingly, I feel like the things that I miss are stupid fights that i don't care about and so i'm fine with that (laughs) and i still end up hearing about them anyways and
0: spending a lot of time talking about yeah right it's like you can't escape it you just have like you know second degree twitter Uh We're back. This is the part of the show where I tell you how to contact us. So we're both on Twitter. Uh, the show's handle is at fourbeerspod, and we will both get uh, DMs or at mentions. So that's one way to contact us. If you're more of an email type of person, our email address is fourbeerspod at gmail.com, which will go to both of us. Uh, that's spelled out, by the way, uh, F O U R, not the numeral four. Uh, finally, uh, our website is fourbeers.fireside.fm, where you can find our back catalog as well. So we are going to carry on drinking the same beer, which um, thanks again to uh, Peter Martin. Yeah, to Peter Martin. What a what a what a guy. That's right, right. Uh, definitely a hero. And I just want to say one
1: thing about the, about you know the uh, the promo. So I think the past couple of episodes, Joel, you and I were like wondering why we were asking people to actually rate and review us. And uh, we were like skeptical that it would do anything other than boost our own egos. Uh, but we've now heard from uh, at least a couple of people that, in fact, they have found our shows through recommendations uh, made by uh, whatever podcast uh, uh, app they, they use, uh, typically Apple. Um, so please do rate us and review us. Uh, we not only want uh, you know, the ego boost, but it will help other people uh,
0: find us. That's right. Thanks, Mickey. Uh, so we have a quick segment of follow-up here. So in our last episode with uh, with Paul Bloom, um, so I think this is going to be when this episode actually comes out. It'll be the Next to last episode, because we have one in the can. Anyway, the episode with Paul Bloom, uh, we talked about this paper in defense of parenthood children are associated with more joy than misery. Um, and in particular, I was a little skeptical of this paper's conclusions because I said, well, there's this big literature showing the opposite. And you know, I kind of trust the big literature more than this one paper in psych science. And Liz Dunn, one of the authors uh, on that paper, got in touch with us um, and uh, gave us some of the backstory here. So I'm going to read a little bit uh, from her email. Uh, so she says the backstory of that paper, the psych science, is that I assume the dominant narrative, which is that kids are terrible for happiness, was correct, and I just wanted to look at moderators. But I couldn't get the negative main effect to pop out. Uh, meanwhile, data collected by Sonia, oh my God, I can never... Luba-Mersky. Thank you. Lubomirsky and Laura Carstensen's lab had revealed the same null to slightly positive effect of parenting that we were seeing, even though we were all using different methods. And when we dug deeper into the existing literature, we saw that the evidence for the dominant narrative was really weak. Um And so then she goes on to say, you know, you uh basically you were strangely dismissive of what she calls kind of a failure to replicate um and uh she sent along as well uh A paper that she's not on, but that's coming out in Psych Bull, that's basically a systematic review of the uh, studies on parenting and happiness, that essentially says the takeaway is it's a really complicated story. It seems like there's a lot of moderators. Um, Some of the moderators are absolutely common sense. So, like, you know, do you have the resources to um, be comfortable raising a kid or are you strapped, for example? Um, And they suggest that, like, really what we need to be doing is looking at moderators. And uh, I, you know, I read that paper, I looked back at the literature. And I have to say, like, a little embarrassingly, that I think that my take was too simplistic. So, like, in fact, yeah, not just this, like, bulletin paper, but other research as well. So research in econ says basically, like, it's kind of a mixed bag. So some studies find negative effects, um... Some studies find like really no effect. Some studies find maybe a slight positive effect. And this stuff is much more complicated than you would think, even when you're doing. So what to me would be kind of the gold standard would be you follow people and you see like when they have kids, do they get less happy? And um, I forget whether this point was made in the psych bowl paper, or a different paper that I read. One problem is people typically have kids maybe two to three years into their marriages and there's a happiness bump from getting married that then wears off. Right. So if you just get people like, let's say a year before they have kids and then they have the kid, it may look artifactually like the kid has made them unhappy when really what's happened is just they've been married for long enough that they're not thrilled about being married to their partner anymore. Right. So you have to be like, I guess that's just one example of like when you're doing this, these kinds of um, observational, like correlational stuff. It's just really hard to get it right. And there's like a lot of nuance there. And I don't think I characterized that correctly. So uh, I thank uh, Liz for very nicely getting in touch and pointing this out. Yeah. I, I also want to thank Liz. It's awesome that she got in touch. I mean, first of all, thanks for listening, Liz. Um, and uh, well, we don't know that she did. It may be that somebody told her, hey, these people are, you know, talking smack about your paper and you. Better, so.
1: <laughs> well, she did say she listened. So at least oh, she, she, did? At one, she, she did.
0: I missed that. At I least in
1: that. one episode. That, um, right. And uh, so thank you for listening. And also like, thanks for correcting us uh, and letting us know about this kind of deeper, more complicated literature. Uh, so, you know, in this psych bull that you're referring to, Yoel, um, some of the moderators, I think you already touched on. Um, one was, you know, to what extent, how is your marriage doing? Um, and, you know, if your marriage isn't going well, then kids are going to exacerbate that. Um, And also, I imagine, although you know, I didn't read the psych bull, um, but I imagine this must be a moderator. Uh, It probably depends a lot about when uh, uh, on when you ask the person, uh, uh, you know, if they're happy or not. Like, how old are their children? I imagine if the children are quite young, children. Yep, absolutely um yeah. you know at first 3 4 years probably a lot more difficult uh, because sleep is such an issue but then later uh you know it probably changes quite a bit so anyways thank you liz for getting in touch with us and uh uh, do we have, I don't think we have any more terrible advice about paranoia.
0: No, we, no, we don't. I'll just say we're going to give links in the show notes. Um, there is a, a paper in psych science uh, critiquing uh, the paper that Liz was on. So we'll post a link to that. Um, if they wrote a response, we'll post a link to that as well. Uh, and then we'll post a link to the psych bull. So like everybody can sort of read everything and see what they think. Okay. So um, Mickey, where are we at? Content wise. Uh
1: so I think we want to talk a little bit about uh your podcast, um, The Blackout. So I think we've already uh well, we've already kind of talked about uh you guys being our inspiration uh for starting our own. Um but we want to kind of get a little more into into the, into the weeds a bit. So uh you know, tell us about how you guys got the idea of starting up a podcast and why did you start it? How what's the experience like so far?
2: Um, so I think what happened was I had for a little while liked the idea of starting my own podcast. I was just sort of interested in the idea generally um, because of my interest in interviewing people. Um, and I had sort of dabbled a little bit in that. Um and then something that I had talked about with Samin was Samin had this idea that it would be fun to have an anonymous advice column, which would be like a thing where people write in and then we write responses to them. And she thought that would be really fun. Um, and so then I can't remember if Sanjay had known that about either of us. Maybe we'd had conversations about these things with him, but Sanjay ended up approaching Samin and I um, and all of us were friends before this, um, this happened and just suggested, like, hey, you know, wouldn't it be fun for us to have a podcast? And, you know, we could, t- we have this common ground and that we're interested in replicability and open science and stuff like that. Um, and so maybe that could be one of the topics that we talk about, but maybe we can just talk about random stuff too. Um, so Samina and I sort of like jumped on that opportunity because it was, I guess, like a way to do, things that we were already interested in. So for me, this like, yeah, this idea of having a podcast and uh, occasionally interviewing people. And then um, for her, I think the the advice column aspect, of course, I think has been captured in the letters segment of our podcast. Um, So, yeah, that's
1: how it that's how it came about. And how do you uh, like how do you relate to it now? So, I mean, it's been two and a half years or something like this. right? That sounds right. Um,
2: there have been 63 episodes wow. and they happen every two weeks. So I'm not sure what that means.
1: Well, we've been around for, I, I can't do the math now, but we've been, we've been around for a year and a half.
0: Two plus years. <laughs> there you go. Thanks.
1: Thanks for the quick. You pulled up the cap in
0: for that, or I did. Yeah, (laughs) okay, I did. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for busting me. All
1: right. Um, So how does? I mean, so I remember when we started, uh, I read about this phenomenon called pod burn, which is apparently a large proportion of podcasts don't make it past ten episodes because it's such that
2: makes perfect sense. Yeah,
1: such little startup costs. Anybody can do it, and um, and then you kind of the 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 novelty wears out. But obviously. you know, you guys are still going strong and everything's good. So, yes, how do you relate to it now? What is it like now as as opposed to when it was uh, when you guys first started?
2: Um, that, Yeah, so I guess when we first started, I really didn't have a coherent idea of, like, what our goal was. It was basically like, this sounds like a fun thing to do. And these are the things that we would have fun talking about. And so, like, uh, it was a very self-serving initially Um, I don't think that we had a particular idea in mind about how the podcast might be a service or like how it might be informative to people or educational or anything like that. We were just like, this will be fun for us. Maybe people will listen to it. And that was like very unclear that people would listen to it. So I think we were maybe slightly surprised that people listened to it in the first place because why, why would they listen to it? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then so now I think I have a bit more of a sense of maybe like what people get out of the podcast. So you guys were saying that um, people are interested in like your people's trajectories and things like that. Um, I think people are curious about that, both for um, the hosts, but also like any anytime we have guests. Um, I think, yeah, people are just sort of like interested in. Particularly, I think, for Samin and Sanjay, who are quite well-known, I think people are interested in, like, the times that they feel vulnerable or insecure or times that they fuck up or whatever. I think people really like that. Um, but I think, yeah, also, I mean, we try to do episodes that are, um, like you said when you were talking about the the handbook for academics, they're sort of like you know, we'll talk about the job market or, you know, um, your research spiel or whatever, things that are sort of like practical, because I think a huge proportion of our audience is graduate students, things that might be like sort of useful um, topics for us to discuss. So yeah, I guess I have more of a sense of what we're going for and what people might benefit from now when we do the podcast. Um, Oddly, I haven't been... I thought we would run out of things to talk about and I haven't really felt that way. We might feel that way eventually. Um, and then, so yeah, I mean getting here today, I see like you guys have a more sophisticated (laughs) setup than we do. Um, our setup is like extremely simple and the editing we do is like extremely low maintenance. So for that, for us, it's like, uh, I think probably necessary for it to be sustainable for us is that it's just like quite not very time consuming at all to do it. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question.
0: Do you feel like maybe the awkward pauses, which started out as you just not wanting to edit have sort of become your trademark? <laughs> What, what awkward pauses? <laughs> what are you talking about? Can we edit in awkward pauses? Yeah, I'm just <laughs> like gonna add like two seconds before
2: Oh every... uh, yeah, the it's really funny because the experience of the awkward pause in the moment is not that awkward because I can see both Sanjay and Samin, and the awkward pause is like accompanied by like a you know you know subtle facial gestures like hey are we like ready to move on to the next topic like you know um so it doesn't feel as empty but then when i listen to it i'm like oh man like there's like three and a half seconds of literally nothing <laughs> sometimes i edit them out but you know sometimes yeah, you I, don't. Know,
0: I used to find it jarring and now i, I really dig it like, I really <laughs> like that's how you know that's you what it's to like them. to talk to samin on the phone by the way Wow. <laughs> that, that must have taken some getting used to. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned um, a little bit about how you guys come up with topics. Do you have a formal process? Do you have a document? Like, how do you do this? No, we don't have a formal process.
2: We do have a document somewhere and we refer to it sometimes. If we like think of ideas, we'll put it on the list. I currently have like a WhatsApp conversation going with Samin and Sanjay where it's like, you know, do we have a topic for Monday? And then it's like some random topics that had been suggested and text conversations from before. Um, I think they're like, yeah, we're really unsystematic. Sometimes we don't decide until very close to the beginning of recording. And then other times, if, if there's something that like we feel like we need to be more informed about, then we'll try to do some preparation.
1: So otherwise, I was about to ask, what what is the the amount of preparation you guys do uh, per episode? I guess it depends on on the topic. Yes. But your face is telling me minimal amount of preparation.
2: Yeah. I mean, if there's like, if there's something where we read a paper or we're talking about something like that, I mean, we, if we say we read a paper, we did read the paper. Um, But yeah, often like for our previous episode, which was talking to strangers, basically there's zero preparation. There's like. Um, we'll, we'll like, come up with an outline as we've, like, met to do the podcast recording. So each of us will, like, jot down notes about what we think would be interesting things to talk about for that topic. Um, I'll choose a letter. And, yeah, and then we'll decide on something to chit-chat about. And that's, that's basically it.
0: So you're always the person who picks the letter? Pretty much, yeah. That's a lot of responsibility.
2: Um, yeah, sometimes I'll run a couple of letters by... Samin and Sanjay. Um, yeah, I don't
0: know. So do you, I imagine you get more than you can, you know, do.
2: That's true. Yeah. But not like a massive amount more than we can do. And sometimes, like, sometimes the content of letters will overlap with letters we've done previously. And um, we're we're really going for letters where somebody has like a very specific dilemma as opposed to like, sometimes we'll get letters that are like, you should do an episode on blah, 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 um, which is sort of like slightly different than, you know, my advisor said that I should do this. And now what should I do
0: kind of thing, which is more what we're going for. So right, people should write us more letters. Write them letters, people. Uh, yeah, they'll actually give you good advice. So <laughs> <laughs> That's what's a terrible advice. Exactly. Uh, yeah. One thing that I think is like really brave about what you guys do is you'll give advice. Uh, <laughs> Boy, this is, like, is started out sounding, like, <laughs> complimented out. <laughs> you, don't advice you, don't. When
2: you have literally no expertise or idea what you're talking about.
0: Well, there was one recently that I'm thinking of where it was, like, I'm coming from internationally, and, like, am I going to be facing these problems? Right. And you always, you always do, like, really your best to, like – give the best answer you can and, and to say what you're confident about versus versus not mm-hmm. um has there ever been anything where you know you did a letter you gave the advice and then later you woke up and you were like in the middle of the night or whatever like oh shit that was terrible we should not have uh
2: i haven't had that experience but if you feel like there was one where we gave terrible advice you should let me know
0: no i just um, feel like that's the sort of thing i would do well hold on, let me get this straight so you ap- after you record
1: a podcast um you don't feel regrets afterwards. There have been times when
2: I felt regrets, and we've edited things out, but only a couple. Okay, yeah.
1: It is a regular experience for me to feel regret. Um, but it's I think cr- you guys take more risks. Yeah, which is,
2: you know, maybe. Like,
1: but we're also getting fast. drunk, uh, or at least drinking a couple of beers, um, and uh, it's actually kind of an interesting experience to like have a conversation like we're having now while you're drinking beers. And then, you know, wherever I, I I sleep on it and I'm like, what the fuck? I said all these stupid things. I'm an idiot. And then because we listen to the episodes, we edit them. We're like, Oh, actually it was okay. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as nearly as bad as I thought.
2: Right. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting, um, mental experience to go back and hear yourself when you thought you sounded like a total idiot. And that is my experience too, is that I usually feel like I sound like less of an idiot than I thought. Um, I have the experience sometimes of feeling like I was really inarticulate and going back and listening and being like, oh, yeah, you really were inarticulate.
0: So sometimes, <laughs> uh, what do you think you did poorly? That is a yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Has there ever been any like topic or even any specific thing that you guys said where you got pushback, like where people would write in and be like, oh, I wasn't happy with this?
2: Uh, so we, the probably the touchiest topic that we did was the episode where um, we, uh, the being different episode where I talked about sexuality and Samin talked about gender and Sanjay talked about race. Um, and that was by far the episode that we got the most feedback about in general. Most of the feedback was quite positive and encouraging. Um, I think we got one email that was like unhappy with the way that we handled some of that um, content. But I think that's, I think that's the only time. And I also think we sort of, knew that going in that that probably we wouldn't be able to handle those topics in a way that would satisfy everyone.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, is there political stuff where you're like, uh, we just, we don't want to do that. It's just too button pushy something like that.
2: I think we tend not to talk much about politics and I'm curious what Sanjay and Samin would say about their reasons for avoiding those kinds of topics. Um, I guess I just feel like they are such common topics in so many different forums that like our podcast isn't really, it's not the focus of our podcast. So we're, we're not going to handle them as well as other people who, who know much more about them and have a lot more expertise. Um, But yeah, I don't think that it's because there. um, Yeah. Sanjay or Samin might say something more about maybe not wanting to upset listeners or something like that.
0: Right. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot to the idea of like you guys have a beat, which is pretty focused yeah. and like that's where you can add value. And so why it, there's just an opportunity cost of like talking about, I don't know, the presidential election where it's like, are you going to be the best people to do that? Right. We would never do that. No, never. We, we know nothing. <laughs> we're literally just making this shit up on the on the spot. In a in a couple of years we're waiting for the insect to be eaten. Uh, it's a couple of years. Well, Biden's looking pretty good, man. He bounced back. Kamala Harris is fading again. She had a bad debate. He's still sitting at thirty percent. I know. I, I was I was thinking oh, yes, COL is winning. That's right. That's right, man. Well, you know, it's still like it's still anybody's election, people. Right. And I said I would eat the bug regardless. So Yes, and I made it with you, I mean, I don't care. It's just the circumstances under which I'm eating the bug. It could either be the sweet taste of yeah, or the bitter <laughs> taste of me. <being laughs> <wrong. laughs> um, well, so this has been such a delight having you on. Um, Mickey, I wonder whether there's anything else that you feel we need to ask before we wrap up here.
1: I mean, I feel like uh I've really picked your brain about the podcast, uh which is so fun and um you know as we're talking about like, you know, it it's I found it interesting that you have come to your goal as you're doing it um like the the process (laughs) i mean what's what i mean i hope no 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 no, no. it's like
2: uh i mean i'm sort of like reminded of asking some of my friends who are like artists or writers about their process and sometimes they're like yeah i don't know what i'm writing about until i am like three quarters of the way through um, which in some ways sounds like sort of like a magical process in some ways sounds kind of bullshitty, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I mean,
1: I totally agree with that with writing. Who knows what you're going to write about until it's actually, you put your pen to paper. Um, but uh, I think that's heartening uh, uh, in some ways, because I feel like we have no idea what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> we're kind of, Other than the beer is the theme. So uh, I have hope that a goal uh, will emerge, uh, that the, uh, you know, our, what we, you know, the aim here will, will, will emerge. I'm not sure what it is.
2: I was curious. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to ask you guys questions. Oh my god, totally should interview us. Yeah. yeah, but do you do you have a sense of like the goal of the podcast at this point,
0: Mickey? You <laughs> no. don't. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we do. I feel like uh, we generally want to cover issues in social psych, but then also their application more broadly to politics and society um and we want to have some guests but not too many and we want those guests to have like different like interesting perspectives um so i I don't think of this as like ever having somebody on to debate them but rather to like hear what they have to say um and hopefully to have people who are different in lots of ways you know and in terms of how they think about politics in terms of how they think about research like the sort of thing that they do like it hasn't even necessarily all been, uh, academics that we've had on. Right. Um, so we've had journalists on, for example, like anybody who kind of touches on the stuff that we do. Um, and so that's about half of it. And the other half, I guess, is just me and Mickey, like bullshitting about the (laughs) democratic primary (laughs) fucking around. (laughs) Exactly. I'm glad that you see a goal.
1: Uh, I mean, obviously I, I think we also, uh, we, I mean, be purposely you know uh, in our description is about controversy so we're kind of like not shying away from we're going towards it um which is kind of like you mentioned taking risks um and it is funny how i have and maybe we've become more comfortable talking about things that are can be uh lead people to be uncomfortable um and uh yeah, but I, I'm not exactly sure why we chose that, other than it's just kind of fun to poke at, at things. And um, yeah, we're the, we're you know as academics, we like we like ideas. We you know, maybe we're interested in talking about some ideas that some people are less comfortable talking about. Thanks so much, Alexa, for having me for, for being on. And uh, it's been a year since I've seen you, so it's uh, it's nice to see your face again, not just your voice, which I listen to every couple of weeks. Um, so thank you for being on.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun.